Gracious Lord, we give you thanks for uh, your Son, our Lord Jesus, who has gone before us in the way of faith. He is our author and our perfecter. And Lord, as we um, look to your word, we pray that we'd also be looking to our Lord Jesus with eyes fixed on him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to be talking a little bit today about discipline. Ooh, all right. It sounds like fun, but it's good. It's good. Uh, but I'll start with this from the department of not at all surprising news. Studies have shown that millennial parents are disciplining their kids less than their parents. Right? Yeah, I know, right? Truly? Um, all right. I don't want to, I don't want to open up a, a can of worms here and turn into all this kind of stuff, but just speaking as objectively as possible, what are some of the good and bad reasons for disciplining children, okay? I'm not just talking about like giving them a whooping, spanking, or this sort of thing, but just in general, what are, why is it necessary? What, what, what is good about discipline, and where can it be bad, or where can it go astray? Yeah, Hans. Discipline is offense. Uh, offense? Offense. Oh, a fence, gotcha. Yes. Yeah, it's offense. It's, Show them where the border is. Don't do that. Stay on this side of the fence. Sure. Okay. Yeah, good. So it provides a fence. Stay on this side as a, a, a safety in that respect. Yeah, Bob. I agree with Hans, and the bad side of it is our oldest son's yard inside the fence was probably 10 square feet. Hmm. By the time we had our fourth child, they had 1,000 square feet. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That sounds about right. Yeah. Others, other thoughts? What are some of the, the good and bad reasons for for Esther, yeah. Keeping them safe and helping them to develop good habits that will serve them well yep. in life when they get into Helping them to develop good habits as well as keeping them safe. That's right. Good. Other thoughts? Discipline? For some of us, I think it comes real naturally. Uh, for others of us, maybe it's a little bit harder. A lot of it obviously depends on your own personal upbringing. But as we dig into chapter 12 here, and it talks about discipline, uh, it has a particular slant on it, and it is undoubtedly the case that the, the preacher here means to talk about it in a very positive way, and how the, the discipline of the Lord is a positive thing. Before we get to that, though, we get to my favorite verses in the book of Hebrews, and to be honest, some of my favorite verses in the whole New Testament, if not the Bible. First couple of verses of Hebrews chapter 12. So let's just dig in. <clears throat> Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Wow. So much packed into just a couple of verses here as the, the preacher is really just, just cooking at this point. Bless you. Um, so, of course, there is a, an analogy that has already been hinted at earlier in uh, the sermon in the, in the book of Hebrews, and it's, it's picked up again here, which is that, number two on your handout. Our lives of faith are like the last leg of a grand relay race, finishing in a packed stadium. So we ended last week by talking about how um, the, the preacher gives us this picture of um, all the, the saints through the ages are like this unbroken chain. And we now are part of that chain, stretching back not only to the time of our Lord, but to the Old Testament saints as well. 
Um, but an, another similar way of looking at it that he has here is that it's like we're part of a relay race. So now those same saints have also handed on the baton, right? They've handed the baton to you and me. And so now we are running. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. Um, right, chariots of fire. So that's, that's us. We're, we're still going. But the picture of it is so cool because, you know, when they have the long races, I think they still do this in the Olympics, but certainly in the ancient world, the last leg of it is not going to be out, um, out in the, the countryside where it would, it would be in these longer races, but you finish in the stadium, right? And so you just imagine you're running and it's been get, you're getting so tired. You're ready to just give up. But then you get into the stadium, right? And it's packed with spectators. And at least as the preacher's saying here, there's no hecklers, right? <laughs> These are all people who are rooting and cheering for you. You know, crowds on their feet. <sighs> and it just, it gives you that, I mean, it gives you chills, right? Just getting pumped up. And that's, that's the picture that we have here. It's that we're running this relay race of faith. We're in the, the last leg, and all of the saints who have gone before us, this great cloud of witnesses, they're cheering you and me on. Of course, this is an image that is, is used in other places in the New Testament also. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, Don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Right? Paul has much the same purpose that the preacher does here. Run with endurance. Go after it. Get after it. But having that confidence then that we have that uh, a fellowship, that cloud of witnesses around us. There's the wonderful verse from For All the Saints. Oh, blessed communion, fellowship divine. We feebly struggle. They in glory shine. Yet all are one in thee, for all are thine. Right? Uh, alluded to this in the, in the sermon today too, just the gift of the communion of saints, the fellowship of believers that transcends time and space. Those who are alive before the Lord in the body now, you and me, but also those who are alive before the Lord in soul awaiting the resurrection, right? All are alive before him in different ways, waiting for that final consummation when Christ will come again. It's a great source of comfort and strength for us, maybe one that we haven't tapped into as much as we could. But to look back to those saints, uh, to, to hear their voices still echoing in our ears, keep going, keep at it, don't give up, right? That's the picture that we have here. So a few points to draw out from this analogy then. If we're in this relay race of faith, the first point to draw from it is that in the relay race of faith, we aim to travel light. We aim to travel light. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now, I didn't realize this. Perhaps you did, or perhaps this is, is common sense. But uh, do you know how they would have run in the ancient world when the preacher is preaching here? Naked. Naked. Okay? They're in their birthday suits out running. Talk about laying aside every weight, right? Well, we could keep some weights, right? Um, but that was just, that was customary. That was the way that it, the way that it would go. And this is kind of the idea that the preacher is getting at here. Uh, <laughs> We are traveling light, so to speak. We are putting off every weight, any hindrance that we might have. Romans 13, uh, Paul writes, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh 
to gratify its desires. Similarly, in Colossians 3, don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so um, here he's encouraging us to think about sin, not in the sin as those attachments, those things that hold you back, that hold you down, that weigh you down. Those things that we're trying to cling to so closely rather than relinquishing them into the, the arms of the Savior so that we're able to run. That's the goal, so that, so that we can run. Um, this is, a, I mean, it's a, a, a provocative image perhaps, but it's um, getting at this idea that we are traveling light. We don't want anything to, to cling to us, to hold to, to us too fast. But not only are we traveling light, we're looking to our Lord Jesus. If all you focus on is, okay, I've got to get rid of all my sin, that's the, the main focus in this race of faith, um, then you're going to get into a situation where you lose focus, or to use change a sports analogy, you get the yips. You know what the yips are? Um, okay, so this is a baseball thing especially. Um, so baseball players will sometimes get the yips, where they find they're not able to throw accurately. There just suddenly, this happened um, to a guy named Chuck Knobloch, who used to play for the Yankees. This happened, uh, has happened to different pitchers. Well, a guy played for the Cardinals named Rick Ankeel, where suddenly they just get so um, preoccupied. It's a totally a mental thing, right? It's not like their arms have suddenly broken. It's totally a mental thing where they become so focused just on their own mechanics. Am I getting this just right? Um, that then they're not able to throw straight. Now, any of you who have, who have played baseball or had a newspaper route for that matter, you know that when you're trying to throw accurate, you're not looking at your arm, you're looking at what? Target, target. You're looking at your target, right? You're focusing on where you want it to go. Now, it's important for you to work on your mechanics um, to, get those, to get those good and smooth, and um, that's what practice is for. You're developing that muscle memory. Similarly, the preacher would say here, this is why we, we want to get rid of sin. We want to, um, to move those things away because it can disrupt our mechanics of faith, so to speak. But the ultimate goal is not to focus on your windup. The ultimate goal is to, to focus on your goal, on your goal, on where, where you're, you're aiming towards. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so he says, yeah, we're laying aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, but not as an end in itself. The end, the goal, the purpose is Christ. That's who we're looking to, see. He's the one that we want to keep our eyes fixated on. He is the one, as he puts it here, the author and the perfecter, some translations say, I put it this way, as the pioneer and the pattern. Jesus is the lead runner. He's the trailblazer. He's the one who's already gone before you and me. And he himself is the way. Isn't that what he says? Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is that pioneer. He is that trailblazer. He is the way. And not only that, he is our pattern. He's our exemplar. Now, um, we can overstress that if, we, if he's only our pattern, if he's only our example, that's not enough. We need a savior. We need a redeemer. He's more than our, our pattern and our example, but he's not less than that. He's not less than that. And uh, John says also in 1 John, he says, by this we know, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he, Jesus, walked, right? 
So how did Jesus walk like an Egyptian? No. Um, <laughs> we are following in his footsteps. We're following in his footsteps. We're following our elder brother, Jesus, in the way that he has blazed for us and following his example and his pattern. This is part of the reason that we read the Gospels, right? Is not only to see Jesus for us, but also Jesus with us, that we might um, join Jesus on his mission, be part of what he is up to in the world, kind of get his moves, right? Imitate his steps and the way that he works. So we're following in his footsteps as both a pioneer and the pattern. Uh, I think for some of us, we struggle with that because it's like, well, I don't know how to walk on water. True, okay? No, don't try to do that unless it's frozen. Um, but this isn't to say then that we can't um, strive to follow after our Lord Jesus in lives of, of compassion and mercy and grace and forgiveness. That's what, we're, that's what we're talking about here. So then the last thing when it comes to this relay race of faith, as we've alluded to it already, is to keep, ever to keep an eye on the joyous prize, right? So Christ Jesus, our founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our Lord Jesus, I love that, that line in Luke's gospel, it says, Jesus set his face like flint, right? He looked toward Jerusalem. He knew where he was headed. He knew why he had come. He knew his purpose, and that in that purpose was joy. Joy. The joy of reclaiming you and me. That's what it's all about for our Lord. He never swerved. He never went away from that. He always kept his eyes fixed on that. And now, following in his footsteps, we similarly keep our eye on the prize. You know, Philippians 3, where we get that phrase from. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And just to keep in mind and to underscore these words, that the end goal for the whole thing is the joy of union with Jesus. The joy of union with Jesus. Our Lord said in John 15, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Whoa! Jesus is a joy monger, I like to say. Right? He, he's all about joy, and your joy and mine. That's where it's all headed, see. It's increasing, ever-increasing um, ever measures of, of joy. So we keep that eye on the prize. I know we've got other runners in here. So others of you who have run, I mean, like, for fun, not because something's chasing you. But um, uh, what are other, uh, other points of correspondence contact we, we could draw out in terms of this analogy of the, the relay race of faith? Are other ways in which this kind of illuminates the Christian walk? Or the Christian run, as the case may be. Yeah, Hans. Oh, I, kind of I had is uh, sort of simulate the put things aside and sin. Yeah. So there's two different things here. Oh, okay, yep. And it's like we have distractions and uh, possessions and stuff that are leading us the wrong way. Sure. And not that they're sinful. Gotcha, yeah. But they, they're just things that are going to be a distraction to your focus. Yeah, that's a good distinction. So Hans is pointing out how he says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. 
Um, so that it seems to be that there's a, a degree of distinction to be made there. I don't think we should push it too much. There, um, kind of poetically, he probably means for it to, to provide some kind of like second layer to it. But I think there's some truth to what you say, that there are things which are good in this world, um, but that, that can also be distractions keeping us from the great of, of following our Lord. Yeah, Bob? Well, doesn't our Lord in, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount say, stop being anxious, Mm. Instead, seek the kingdom. Yeah. So I think that that dichotomy, if you will, is present in this to seek the kingdom who is Christ. Yes. But at the same time, get your mind off the stuff that's transitory, and especially your worry about all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Because it does weigh us down. It does. Yeah, Ann. There's a thing called a runner's high. Okay. Where you get into, kind of settle into your groove, and you've been going for a while, and then you just feel like you Right. It's that flow state, right? It's the flow. Yeah. Cool. I've never encountered the runner's high, but that sounds cool. <laughs> Dave, did you have a hand up? <laughs> I, I, I've always loved the picture of the relay uh, and having run before and been in relays mm. and having been young once. <laughs> it's interesting, as you said, you know, this is like the saints, the older saints, yeah. handing it on. Yeah. yeah. When you get to that point where you're handing it off, you don't slow up. Right. You are running full speed. That's a great point. And you practice that, the handoff. So I always said to my older members, which I am now, um, don't give up. You're not, you're not going to slow up. And right. Think, I've, I've already done everything that I could. Right. No. Yeah. Keep running hard. Keep running. Yeah, that's a really good, good image. Did I see hand over? Yeah, Paul. Well, what... <clears throat> When I was younger, and I ran longer races. Yeah. You get to that point that you talked about that you're just going. Yeah. But when you can see the goal yes. inside you, there was always that extra kick. That to kick. To go. Yes. To reach the final goal. Yeah. Yeah, when you see, when you have it in sight and you can see it. And that's why it is so important for us to keep that, the goal before us. You know, I said in the, in the sermon about, I think, when Christians, when we are, our hope um, flags. I think it's a lot of it's because we just don't picture it. We don't keep before our before our heart and before our mind what where it is we're going to, what it is that we're looking forward to, and how our Lord Jesus Himself is that goal. Yeah, Bob. True story. <laughs> I was a junior high school, and Priscilla was in a um, competing junior high. Yeah. And I ran the. I guess it was the 440 relay. So I was the anchor. Mm. I'm the guy with the the anchor is not the one that weighs down the team. No, she was their secret weapon because they didn't have that good attractive. She was a pom pom lead girl or a cheerleader. Yeah. They put her right at the finish line. And, uh, <laughs> I, 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 her, I, I saw her. I said, Is she cute? I almost lost the race. <laughs> <laughs> put aside every weight. and That's right. <laughs> worth the wait worth the wait right yeah yeah oh there's so much there and i think that there's a reason why this image has been a perennial one for the life of faith incidentally um for those of you who are runners mike uh sink one of our newcomers here at church is looking at starting a running club um and preparing for the arcadia days so if that's something you're um interested in you can uh, talk to mike or myself your game for that Ann. <laughs> oh, you're just ready. <laughs> oh, okay. I was, so it sort of goes back to the first uh, point. Our lives of faith are like a 
Yeah. But it's also like you think you're getting like when you're scrolling on something on the internet, yeah. and you think you come to the bottom of the page, and then there's more <laughs> because we really, I mean, we're finishing our leg. But yeah. There's another. Yes. We are handing it off. Yes. Yeah, and you know this is. This is the, the value. This is why Christian education is a vital part of the church's mission, right? Because what is, what is education about? It's about us handing on the baton of faith to the next generation. We're not just saying, okay, good. I know I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm good. We have a responsibility in order to ensure that the next generation knows too. And there's cautionary tales in the scriptures, aren't there? Like in the Old Testament, and another generation arose that, that didn't know. I mean, read the book of Judges. It's harrowing, but it's because that baton of faith was fumbled in the, in the passing it on. This is why it's so important for us as, as the body of believers to value and to prioritize Christian education. And um, I don't just mean our Bible study. I'm talking about Sunday school and Christian day schools, etc. because these are ways in which we're able to continue to pass that on, transmit the faith to the next generation. The Great Commission is not only to folks of our own age who are out there, but also, if it's so to speak, the Great Transmission of handing it, the faith down to the next generation so that they can continue it um, and, and pull the mission forward, right? All right, good. So we're running with endurance. Now, what is the grave danger? This is what um, preacher's going to pick up on, starting with verse 3. So let me read verses 3 to 6. He continues, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, don't regard lightly the, the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. All right, we'll pick up that theme in the, in the next section. But in here, he wants to underscore the, the danger and speak to the danger that um, his contemporary audience was experiencing, and I think that we can still feel to this day. Because the, the truth is that, number six on your handout here, following Christ invariably comes with costs. Following Christ invariably comes with costs. Better to count them. Better to count them, to, to keep them in mind and at the forefront. And isn't it interesting how Jesus never sugarcoats this? He never sugarcoats it for his disciples and says, hey, listen, you follow me, I'm going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? Come and follow me and you will have your best life now. Instead, what's the kind of stuff that Jesus says? Come follow me and you will what? Bear my cross. You'll bear your cross, right? Come follow me and you're going to suffer. You're going to encounter opposition. People might even try to kill you, right? It's like, thanks, Jesus, okay, it's good, good talk. Appreciate the, the, the pep talk here. But he's, he's just laying it out there straightforwardly. And say, this is how it's going to be. Count the costs. Paul says it in Acts. Um, he says, we strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Right? It's just a, a matter of fact. It's not an if. It's just a when. Jesus in Luke 14, he says similar things elsewhere. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? 
this has become so much more brought so much more close to home recently because I'm literally doing this right now as we're trying to build a house, get taking estimates, right, um, figuring out okay what's what's it going to cost, how are you going to do it, and it's really brought home for me this idea like hey yeah you don't just go out willy nilly you sit down you say all right then it's not a matter of uh, as it may be with building a house do I have what it takes, but it's am I willing to rely on the resources of the Lord right. He's the one who has what it takes. He is the pioneer and pattern of our faith. Um, so we're looking to him, not leaning on our own resources, but we very much are counting the cost daily. I appreciate what Tom Long has to say in this respect. He says, when the experience of Christians in many cultures and settings is surveyed, the currency changes, but the fact of costly commitment remains. It's an important point. The currency changes, but the fact of costly commitment remains. What he means is that in some places and at some times, the, the currency is your life, right? It is that you are going to shed your blood for the sake of Christ. Lord willing, that's not gonna, going to be us. We're fortunate to, to live in a, a society where that sort of martyrdom is not often called upon us. That doesn't mean that there aren't costs. So what are some of the other, he says, the, the currency changes. What are some other currencies in which those costs might come? In addition, just literally, you know, shed blood. What are some of the other currencies that those costs come in? Maybe in our society, even in our world. We're just marginalized. Okay. So it, it can be maybe status, a so, social status. That, okay, if you're going to be a Christian, you know that you're going to be relinquishing some of that sense of, of status. Yeah, Bob? It can be a proactive cost, too, and that I'm committed to the kingdom and especially others coming to know the Savior, what am I willing to pay? What am I willing to pay? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. What's your time to what sure. you choose to do with what, what are you going to choose to do with the time that you have? And which is ultimately the most valuable thing we have. And so counting that cost that this is the, the currency of it. Yeah, good. Other currencies that this cost of following Christ comes in. Uh-huh. Yep. You had his possessions. Right. Together, uh, the thing that was blocking him. Yeah. So, I mean, it might be just straight up economic, right? Financial. And you can look at that from different angles. On the one hand, it's, you know, follow, I'm not, I don't just mean like tithes and offerings, that sort of thing, right? That's kind of the, the tip of the iceberg. But it's like, if I'm going to be a Christian that's going to, to follow Christ, that's going to affect some of the decisions I make in my career, right? It might challenge some of the ways that I want to, to pursue him, that maybe I'm not always just going to look to get the, the next biggest job or the biggest paycheck because there's other decisions I'm going to make that are going to come into conflict with it. Or even the fact that I might be called into a, an avenue, into a, a kind of situation where I'm like, I'm not sure that I can in good conscience follow Jesus into this, right? So there can be real economic um, implications, financial costs to following Christ as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and look like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not following your um, your your am ambition, your personal ambition, mm -hmm. right? Setting aside your personal ambition, instead, like Paul says, being ambitious for Christ and the kingdom, being ambitious for the the next generation, being ambitious for the mission of, of the church, the great commission, the great transmission. That that, and so you're like, I'm going to set aside what my personal ambition might be, even if I know that I could pursue that. Instead, I'm going to 
to seek a, a larger ambition or a smaller one, as the case may be. Yeah. I think you as homeschoolers and also those who, like me, um, stayed home mm. when my kids were small. Sure. You know, and you're weird. Tell me about it. I know. <laughs> Weirdos. Um, Even staying home to raise your kids was weird. Sure, right. And yeah. Even more so now. Yeah. Because, you know, we had friends that stayed home too. Sure. But my daughter tried it and, and there was nobody. There, was, there wasn't that, that support. Yeah. 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 So that can be another another way. Yeah. The costs are all over the place. And just because we don't um, necessarily become martyrs, physical martyrs, that doesn't mean that there aren't real uh, costs that come with, with following Christ. I was talking with somebody recently who, um, let's see, how to, how to put this. They were, they were found themselves in a situation where they would have been wholly justified in the eyes of the world for seeking out some, uh, ve vengeance sounds too strong, but some retribution. And I said to them, isn't it a bummer that you're a Christian? And, and she said, I see what you did there. <clears throat> because, you know, if we, apart from that, that sense of following Christ and our discipleship, it's so easy for any of us to lapse into that kind of worldly way of thinking like, okay, yeah, how can I make sure that I'm getting mine? How can I make sure that, uh, that I'm righting wrongs? But you know what? As a Christian, sometimes it means I'm going to set aside my need. My, I'm going, the cost for me is going to be um, some uh, rightness or reputation in the eyes of the world. That can be a cost too. Oof. There's no end to the cost. I, there's a, a song from uh, a Christian artist named Sufjan Stevens. And he, he um, has this line in there where he, I get it. It, it, the upshot of it is he says that Jesus, he takes and he takes and he takes. He takes our place and he keeps taking, he keeps taking. And sometimes it hurts in following our Lord Jesus. But the Lord who has taken our place, he continues to, to take sometimes for our good. And that gives us, leads us into this next section then, why the race is hard, how it's, it's so Im important here, um, the role that discipline has. So let me pick up with verse 7. <clears throat> it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Whew. All right, a lot here. So if we're to finish the race, preacher's saying, we need discipline. And it's a blessing. It doesn't sound like a blessing. I've got a, a book on my shelf that I think I referenced in an Inklings recently, this celebration of discipline, right? My kids see that on the shelf and they're like, uh-oh. Uh, it's not exactly what you think it is, right? It's a book about the, the spiritual disciplines. But um, discipline here, Luther, unfortunately, in his um, German translation of this, he translated, I forget what the, the German word is, but he translated it as punishment. And that's not the idea here. It's not punishment, but the Greek word is paideia. Let me hear you say paideia. 
Okay, so this is a, a familiar term. I think we have some English cognates um, derivatives that come from this, like pedagogy is you know, how you teach. The idea of paideia is not about punishment. It's more about what it's, its literal meaning in that um, culture was the training and education of children. That's what we're talking about here. Um, it's used in Galatians 3 to describe the law, that the law is the pedagogue. It's the one that is meant to be leading us and training us up and bringing us to Jesus. And Paul uses it in a larger sense in 2 Timothy 3, this great passage about Scripture. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for training, paideia, in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so the paideia, the discipline that we're talking about here, is this formation, this training. It's helping us to get the moves in order that we might grow up and, uh, in maturity and in the likeness of Christ. It's not just a, a whooping for the sake of a whooping or something like that. It's that we are being formed and shaped and patterned after Christ Jesus. So pivotal for us to get that. Because for many folks, when they're Christians, when they're encountering hardships and difficulties, <clears throat> the question that's always asked is, why, Lord? Why, why are you doing, why am I have to go through this, right? What are you, what are you doing here? And like we said last week, the question we ought to ask is not, you know, who's to blame, but instead, what are you up to, Lord? Where, where are you at work in this? Because he intends it for our good. Now, the caveat here is, this is not to say that, um, okay, every, you know, egregious, awful thing um, that might happen in the world that, okay, God is, is disciplined disciplining me. There are things that are genuinely just were, like we saw in the gospel today, the Lord's heart breaks for it, right? This is not the way things are meant to be. But even through that, he is able to use those heartbreaking things in order to bring us closer to himself, more like himself. He's the redeemer after all. He's always making use of it all. So this is the picture that we get, is that uh, the preacher's hearers, they are going through a difficult times. They're going through opposition, perhaps even persecution. And he says, it's for discipline that you have to endure because God's treating you as sons. So three reasons he gives why discipline is a blessing and why it ought to be regarded as such. These, these chastisement, if you will, from the Lord. Discipline is a blessing, first of all, because it's a sure sign that we are God's children. He's disciplining you as sons. So this is what all of us are going through. In 1 Peter 5, Peter says, resist him, talking about the devil, just to be clear there, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. To endure suffering brings you into a, uh, a fraternity that is, uh, has its own rights of initiation, unfortunately, right? Um, which is difficult, but is nevertheless it almost is like, it makes you human, right? To be human is to suffer. To be a Christian and to suffer is to, to recognize that it, it is a gift from God. Ann and I watched uh, this movie, Father Stew, Christine Scalise, let's borrow. Any of you see this yet? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's a powerful movie. Powerful. Too long. There's too much going on. But there were some really powerful moments in it and tells the, the true story of this man, Stuart Long, um, who uh, was a wild child, to put it mildly, 
and just goes through the ringer. He has accidents and finally he um, uh, contracts isn't the right word, but he has this um, disorder similar to ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. They don't say specifically what it is, but it just debilitates him. But as you see in the movie, and he talks about it, some of the most poignant, powerful moments in the movie are when he realizes how that suffering has precisely been used by the Savior in order to be a blessing to others, right? It's, a, it's really powerful on that score. And in that respect, it is, well, it's not your usual Christian movie, right? Your usual Christian movie, uh, can, I mean, I'm not saying that they're all bad, but a lot of times they can be a little bit sappy. And at the end, everything, it's all happy. The atheist has been killed. The Christians win. Life is good, right? There's literally movies like that. Uh, and in this one, instead, it's what happens to the Christian? Oh, he's the one who has to go through car accidents and get beaten up and finally go through this debilitating, debilitating disease, and he dies. It's like, oh, ta-da! Um, but that's the beauty of it is seeing, oh, wait, but in the midst of that, that's where the glory of God was revealed. Also, fair warning, the language in it is abysmal, <laughs> but it's realistic. It's real. This was... This is who he was. So just another reason why it's not your usual Chris, Christian movie. Hey, kids, we're going to watch a heartwarming movie. You'll get through about two minutes of it, if that. So just fair warning. But it's a, a powerful, powerful message. But also this notion of discipline being a blessing as a sign of, of being God's children. Um, oh, gosh, there's a story that gutted me from a um, Christian uh, writer and, and teacher named Russell Moore. And um, he had adopted a couple of boys from Romania. He tells the story of going to Romania um, in order to, to find these boys. They go into orphanage. And he says he'll never forget the sound that he heard when he went into the orphanage. It was just chilling. And what was the sound that he heard? Silence. It was silence. The kids had learned not to cry out. Because nobody cared. There was no discipline. There was no attention at all. They had simply surrendered to their awful lot in life. And discipline is, is painful to endure that for a time, but it's a, it's a sign in its own way of God's care for us, right? That he does not forget about us, and indeed that he cares about us enough to attend to us through all things, right? Um, that it's not just silence. Sometimes it's crying out to God, this hurts, this is painful, this stinks. But that too is a blessing because you and I have a father who is attentive to us. His ear is bent to our needs and to our cries, see? So we continue to cry out to him and he hears you, he hears you. All right, two more reasons that this discipline is a blessing then. Secondly, it's a blessing because it resonates with our own family experience. He says, you know, if you, uh, besides this, we have, verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? And so this just jives with our own experience. It says in Ephesians 6, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline, the paideia, and the instruction of the Lord. So it's a blessing in, insofar as it also just maps onto our own human experience. But then finally, and most importantly, discipline is a blessing because it has a glorious result. 
It says, they, our fathers, disciplined us for a, a short time as it seemed best to them, but he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. See, what he's saying is, listen, God always has in view our greater good. As parents, ultimately, this is why we discipline our kids, right? It's it's to keep them safe, to teach them right from wrong, but ultimately it's because we want them to flourish as human beings. We want the greatest good. We know that if all you're eating is Halloween candy, if all you're doing is, is playing video games, that ultimately it's not for your good. We're not just being killjoys, although sometimes as parents we might be accused of as much. And that's why it's important, I guess, to continually be pointing to that that greater good, that larger purpose. This is what God is doing. Ultimately, he wants us to share in his holiness. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I like that. Yeah, I think that I, I mean, I, I think uh, just looking at the, the original here, I'm not sure that that nuance is there in the, in the Greek, but in the English it is, and I think that that's appropriate, right? That he disciplines us for good, for, for our good and eternally, because he has that eternal aim in mind. And again, as, as parents, as grandparents, as guardians, this also, we have this in mind, right? That our, our goal and our purpose, we have an eternal aim. We're not just trying to bring up kids to be successful uh, in the, the world's eyes. We want that. We're not gluttons for punishment. But what we want more than anything is for them to be eternally successful, right? And sometimes that's going to put us at odds with, with the world. Our ambitions are going to be different. We're going to have a different, a different aim. But just that phrase... The peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's, that's the goal. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. Um, it's so rich, and that's where ultimately the Lord's leading us. All right, two thoughts then in conclusion. First, the Lord wants us to grow up to be just like him, right? To grow up like our big brother Jesus. Romans eight twenty nine. those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's, that's what God has in store for us. He's making us more like Jesus. Ultimately, he's going to make us like Jesus in our death and then in our resurrection. We will be transformed and conformed to the likeness of his glorious body. That's where it's going. But it starts now. This isn't just some waiting room, right? We are being conformed more and more to the likeness of our Lord right now. And along those lines then, that goal is worth it. And so let us run with endurance. Uh, There's this famous quote from Steve Prefontaine, the runner, big mustache, long-haired guy. Don't know if he was a believer or not, but still I think this... This statement holds true. He says, to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. Just to say, if we've been given so much, 
as uh, the coaches will often say, leave it all out on the field, right? Leave it all out on the field. That's what we want to do with our lives, to leave it all out on the field, to give, to expend of ourselves. In the moment, such sacrifices and expending ourselves is painful. It's much easier to just pursue the the short-term pleasures of convenience and ease. But in the long-term view of a life, nobody looks back and says, I wish I had spent more time on the couch, right? It's, I wish that I would have spent more time laying it all out there, giving it up for the sake of the next generation, expending my resources, those of time and treasure and talents, giving that all away. I'm not taking it with me, right? Uh, Randy Alcorn says, you never see a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. Right? <laughs> Expending it all, giving it all, to, sacrifice, to give anything less than our best is to sacrifice the gift. So we'll run with endurance. All right, that's where we'll leave it today. Next week, we'll uh, pick up the second half of chapter 12 as we are in the stretch run here at the end of Hebrews. The end is near. Keep your eye on the prize. God be with you.